Welcome to the Rumble Podcast. Here at Rumble, we are a catalyst and a movement that exists to reach men, connect them to Jesus, and equip them to live as kingdom men. In this episode, we're going to our 2021 regular Joe's Conference. This takes place every year in November, and our theme is based around Acts 4.13, how the people looked at Peter and John, they realized they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were regular Joes, but they took note that they had been with Jesus. We want you to sit back, relax, and let this speak to your heart. In Genesis 3, we have um, the voice of God calling out as a question. And God doesn't ask questions because he needs information. Being God, he knows absolutely everything. Rather, he asks questions for our good to give us the opportunity to face facts, to be honest and to confess when we went wrong. And we mustn't think of God asking this question in the garden as a, in the way of a cruel master to his slave or an angry judge to a convicted criminal. This is the question of a broken-hearted father speaking love to his wayward son. And in Genesis 3, we read the words of in chapter and verse 9 says, Then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? At this stage, the system was broken. At this stage, the perfect creation had a cancer in it called sin. Both Adam and Eve had messed up and disobeyed God. But God comes as the loving father to a wayward son and simply asks the question, knowing fine rightly where he was, but still puts it out there, where are you? This is a question that our culture and our world is still shouting out today. This is the question that single women in churches are crying out, where are the men? This is a question that churches and their leadership teams and the pastors and the ministers are crying out, where are the men? This is the question that the orphaned spirit and the orphan hearted and the fatherless in the world that we live in crying out, where, where's, my, where's my dad? Where are the men? The child whose father is here in person, but absent in everything, every way else, is asking that question, where are all the men? We are in a crisis. We are in a moment where something needs to happen. I want you to watch this little clip um, of what happened in a crisis in a school and the simple act of men showing up what it can do. Thanks, Andy. 
When the SOS went up at a troubled school, who answered the call? A bunch of DADs. Here's CBS's Steve Hartman on the road. Not many good news stories begin in such a bad news way. It happened last month here at Southwood High School in Shreveport, Louisiana. Plagued with violence. Over the course of three days, another fight. 23 students arrested for fighting. Massive police response. But strangely, there hasn't been another incident since. Perhaps in part because of this most unusual crisis intervention team. Nobody here has a degree in school counseling. No majors in criminal justice. No, no. Your qualifications are? Well, Dad, okay. we decided the best people who can take care of our kids are who? For us. So Michael Lafitte started Dads on Duty. We're out doing what we do for our babies. A group of about 40 Southwood dads who now hang out at the school in shifts. Let's go. Today, any negative energy that enters the building has to run a gauntlet of good parenting. What's going on, buddy? You moving fast. I like that horse. I immediately felt a form of safety. We stopped fighting, people started going to class. How could that be? You ever heard of a look? A look? Dads have the power to do that? Yes. <laughs> not many people know it, but yes. <laughs> let's go, let's go. But it's not just the firm stares and stern warnings. Let's make it to class, my son. It's also the dad jokes. <laughs> they just make funny jokes like, oh, hey, your student's untied, but it's really not untied. <laughs> they hate it. They're so embarrassed by it. And it's that perfect mix of tough love and gentle ribbing that dads do so well that has helped transform this school. The school has really just been, like, happy, and you can feel it. Which is why the dads plan to keep coming to Southwood indefinitely. Because not everybody has the father figure, the father figure at home. Or a male, period, in their life. Like so that. just to be here makes a big difference. Do you think you stumbled onto something here? Absolutely. I think absolutely. I absolutely. Yeah. They'd like to start chapters of Dads on Duty throughout Louisiana. What's up, baby boy? And hope to eventually take on the country. All right. Without a fight. <laughs> Steve Hartman, on the road, in Shreveport, Louisiana. Um, it's good enough. And yet, it's such a shock. <laughs> such a shock to our world. Such a shock that that would happen. Such a, as we heard from Alan Boris Johnson, like you know, I, the world that we live in is crazy. I've been telling people today, today I'm self-identifying as a 12 stone, 25 year old hunk. Um, <clears throat> and it, it, it's just like the, the the fatherless stuff is just crazy, and the simple act of this is dads and men just showing up. It's so simple, and and this is where this is where we've landed the conference today. In this simple verse of Acts 4, 13, this has actually taken place in a courtroom. This is where Peter and John are put on trial by the exact same judges, by the exact same jury, by the exact same witnesses, by the exact same uh, regime that only a few months previous had Jesus Christ himself on trial. Peter, being Peter, has just finished giving the most best sermon, bringing the uh, prophecies of the, new, of the Old Testament into the New and placing all of the blame of the death of Jesus Christ and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ square at the people who's currently accusing him and putting him on trial. 
The verse previous to this in Acts 4 verse 12 is Peter saying, in all the boldness of the world there is a salvation in no one else. God has given no name under heaven which we must be saved. And then this is the written down verdict, so to speak, that comes from the authorities. And we're going to read it again. The members when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. They were astonished. If, if this was our church today, believe you me, these guys have criminal records, right? They would not make the members role at all, let alone a place of influence or leadership or serving. These are unschooled, ordinary young men and they take note that there's something there's just something about them and it's they've been with Jesus the next verse for me just I think just takes the whole thing to a whole nother level because they're on they're on trial falsely accused of having healed this guy at the gate of the temple who had been there for over 40 years. The high priests and everyone would have walked past them at the same time. They maybe would have given them alms. They maybe would have helped them out. But then all of a sudden, we read in Acts 4, 15, it says, um, let me see where I'm at. So they ordered Peter and John out of the, out of the council chambers and conferred among themselves. I went one, one verse too quick. So after they said they took note that they've been with Jesus, it says, but since they could see the man who had been healed standing right there among them, there was nothing the council could say. Here's this guy who for 40 years had walked past in the into the temple, lame, broken, begging for every day for his food. All of a sudden, he's the prime witness. He is exhibit A. Standing right there, fully of mind, completely healed, standing in his own weight, standing in his own energy, his own strength. And there's nothing they can do because these ordinary unschooled men had taken the words of Jesus to its literal point. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. And this is where we fail. This is where it stops. We say Jesus, whenever he came and begins his ministry in in, in Mark chapter 1, he goes and he finds his disciples. Um, And I said this a few weeks ago, but I'm going to say it again because it's so true. He says, come and follow me. And one day, if you're so lucky, you will be asked in church to serve communion if you behave yourself. He says, come and follow me. Maybe one day you can actually get up at the front and someone will give you a microphone and ask you to say something. It's not. It's come follow me and I will teach you how to fish for men. There's a, a book, um, an author by the name of Dave Morrow, and he is a great way of, of, of summing up these things. He says, describe the type of movie that women like to watch. And it's normally what is it, like a rom-com? And, and basically you sum it up by saying it's always about, at the end of it, it's about an amazing relationship with an amazing man. It's the type of movies women like to watch. He says, describe the type of movie that men like to watch. And what is it, guys? It's an action movie, isn't it? And it's normally about, summing it all up briefly, it's like about a hero who saves the world against impossible odds. 
And the problem that this author goes on to convey is that the church has all become about an amazing relationship with an amazing man. And that's so true. Jesus is amazing. He's incredible. We're called to walk with him every day. But we have stopped there. We've forgotten that that same amazing guy is the hero who calls us to action to join him in mobilizing and changing our nation and changing our society by going with him into the world to see it saved against impossible odds. And that's what we need to keep encouraging each other every year this comes up. This is why we need to encourage each other every week in our discipleship. By the way, if you do man stuff in your church and you say that you have an effective man's ministry that meets three or four times a year over a breakfast, you're not having an effective man's ministry. You're having a gathering of men four times a year. Did the relationship of David and Jonathan, Jesus and his disciples, Paul and Timothy, did that happen three or four times a year? Or was that intentional living day by day? And brotherhood and accountability and walking into the greater things that God calls us into. And this is where it has to come. There's a guy, um, there's a photograph going to come up with this guy called Keith Murdoch. The guys in Fight Club have, have heard me use this one before, so apologies. But I just can't get away from it. 1972's All Blacks arrive in the UK for the autumn, the autumn internationals in the autumn time. And the, um, this guy, Keith Murdoch, is the Jonah Lomo of the 70s. He's the one that everybody wants to see. He's a man mountain. His chest was like 52 inches. Everything had to be tailor-made. It's just like huge. And everyone couldn't wait to see Keith Murdoch. They play their first game. They beat Wales. They're staying in the Angel Hotel in Cardiff. Uh, that night they celebrate. Murdoch celebrates a bit too much. Comes into an altercation with one of the staff members because they actually drunk the hotel dry. Okay? He comes into an altercation with one of the staff members. Ends up chinning him. And the police get involved. And it's not very good. The uh, guys on the All Blacks coaching staff back then, they have a conversation overnight, and the very next day, they put him on a plane, on his own, back to Adelaide. To then move on to Wellington in New Zealand. On his own. He gets off in Singapore. He gets a different flight to Australia, um, because it's 1972, and you're able to get away with it back then. And then he goes walkabout in the Australian outback for the next 40 years. And no one heard of him since. He's appeared once or twice at a trial that happened where he rescued somebody. And that somebody spotted him and he didn't want to know anything about it. For over 30 years, he just forgets everything. This guy was at the peak of his career in 1972. But because he messed up once and that because it wasn't dealt with properly, gone, completely walkabout. Now, believe it or not, this, you can ch check this out, search it up online. Everything online is mostly true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but this has actually changed the, the whole structure and the whole uh, way that all blacks do their team. They actually, when they are 
in the UK and in Cardiff, in Cardiff, most years they will go and they will actually do a pilgrimage to the Angel Hotel in Cardiff to realize that is the moment where we let a brother fall and we didn't deal with it properly to help him recuperate, repent, change his ways and help get back into the team again. We left a wounded soldier lying on the battlefield and he got taken out. We can never do that again. Like Alan and Gary were saying, we have got too many Keith Murdochs in our churches that we have abandoned. We have too many brothers falling in the battlefield that just need someone to get around them and go, I'm here for you. I don't care what the story is. I don't care what the issue is. I just want you to know you're not on your own and I'm here for you. There's a, um, and this is, this is critical. This is a point where we have to realize this. There's a professor by the name of, of Dr. Anthony Bradley. People will have maybe heard me mention him before from King's College in New York. Um, he does a theological seminary in, in King's College. He has 60 students. He asked them last year, um, just well, before all the lockdown stuff, he asked 60 of them. He said, when was the last time, how often in your journey of growing up as a young kid, and most of them are coming from Christian homes. Some of them, they're coming, their, their dads or ministers are in the, in the ministry. And he's asking them, when and how often did you see your dad leave the house to go and hang out with his buddies? Just to hang out. Maybe have an intentional discipleship chat. Maybe to go and reach some lost friends. How often did it happen? Three of them out of 60 put their hand up and said, that happened regularly in my house. Oh, so... So work that through then. What are we saying to the, six, to the 15, 16, 14-year-old boys in our churches at the moment? Is if you stay in the faith and the adulthood, if you get married and stay in the faith and stay in the church, be prepared to be isolated and alone. This cannot happen to the next generation. And that only happens by what Willie has been on all day about, by turning the hearts of the fathers to the sons. Lord, break our hearts for what breaks yours. It's the father wandering into the garden with the father heart saying, where are you, Adam? It's coming to the father. It's allowing him to do the, the open heart surgery on us to make us be the men that we've always been called to be, but sometimes we're afraid to let him go deeper, to deal with that wound that we've hidden up and stored away and tried to bury, hoping that one day it never appears again. But secretly, that's the wound that drives every bad decision that we make. It's time to let the Savior in to come and heal and take that wound away. It's time to have a focus and a drive that says we are here to reach the lost. Our strategy is the gospel of Jesus Christ Pure and simple. I have been told by people um, in church circles, but if you were to drop the evangelism side of what you're doing, we can fit you in to our, our system in a better way because then it's all discipleship. We can't cope with one or the other. That is so wrong. This is whole life living, pure discipleship. The drive-in, I... Um, I'm going to be quiet soon and I'm going to get the band up. I, I joined a, um, a, a new golf club this year. I got blessed by the opportunity to do that. And 
I, you know what I do, and um, anytime you go and you meet somebody new, uh, there's what is it we always do? Like even if you're playing football with them or you meet them in work, there's that awkward conversation, isn't there, David? Like you know, and every week if I just throw my name on the timesheet and go, yeah, I need to meet new people. I need to, you know, I know a few guys there, but can't play with them this week, so I'll just throw my name down and go out with whoever. It's it's normally the, it's never gone past the fourth hole before everyone's telling each other what to do. You know, because like most guys measure their worth. You know, oh, I do this, I'm in finance, or I'm in architecture, or I'm in, you know, a civil servant. And you're like, yeah, you're a copper. Okay, mate, like, we all know that. Thank you. <laughs> you know, uh, it's Northern Ireland, you know. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm the quiet one, because every week I'm trying to go, right, which one do you go with this week? You know, am I a director in a charity? Um, am I a, a pastor or a minister? Because uh, even if you say the charity thing, it's always like, oh, what do you do? And you're like, well, here's an awkward one. Yeah, we just have this thing that tries to better help churches, better connect with men. And then it just goes. <laughs> <laughs> Not all the time. Actually, a lot of good conversations come out of it. There was actually the, the best one I've came up with so far. There was one guy who was getting on really boisterous and really, you know, the crack of the, the day. And he was kind of like, oh, here, well, here this one. What, 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 what's Spud do? Spud, what do you do? And I says to him, happy days. I could actually bury you here right now, and nobody would say a word. In fact, they would all say how great I was. Because being a minister, you get to bury people every now and again. So, um, <laughs> but if I don't go into those conversations intentionally, to let them know straight away who I am, intentionally even praying as you begin that day of Lord, how do I reveal your glory to these guys? How do I get the gospel message that's in me so they can understand not just who I am, but who you are? It's amazing the conversations that happen. And this is why we need to get the strategy right in our churches. Let's reach the guys in our pews. Let's help make sure there's no more Keith Murdochs in our churches who are left and abandoned alone, regardless of what they've done. Let's get together and have brotherhood, accountability. Let's have a laugh. We got the Castle Welling, uh, called it the Freedom Weekend, uh, and we laughed. It was amazing, wasn't it? Yeah. The belly laughs were just like, uh, like your jaws were sore from just laughter, just being able to get together and have a laugh. And suicide is stalking the lives of men in this land and the men in our churches. So we need to be able to come together. Let's do it. Let's do it with a focus on the broken and marginalized in our society, which the majority of have a father wound in their heart that need to know and understand the love of our Father in heaven. And the best people in this world to do that is regular Joes like you and me. Some of you don't even realize this. But I brought my son here because I asked him, what do you want to do? Do you want to go with your mom? He says, can I come to the conference? And I said, yeah, of course you can. You can help run around. So he's probably trying to upsell you a t-shirt or something like that. Good on him. Um, but here's the thing. My son has been in the room with spiritual fathers today who have fist-pumped him, high-fived him, gave him a hug, and saying, well done for what you've done today. My son's in cloud nine. Do you know what? Every child in this nation deserves to feel that and hear that. Yes. 
And the only way that, and the perfect place for that to happen is your church, is my church. It's the broken family of God. Not denominational, whatever. It's the broken family of God who can welcome in the orphan-hearted, the fatherless, and they can come in and look for them tomorrow as you go to church. Okay, COVID, we can't high-five or fist bump or whatever. Just say to them something like, you, you're amazing. Look how big you are. You're, you're getting incredible. I hope all going, going well in your life and school. Cheer them on. See their eyes brighten up. Because a man, a man, a spiritual dad, a spiritual uncle in the church sees them, has an interest in them. And if anyone came through that door to do them any harm, would be the first to put their body in the line in front of them to protect them. Thanks for tuning in to this episode. We really hope and pray that God's word has spoken to your heart and that his Holy Spirit has empowered you to go out and be an effective man, that people would look at you and really take note that you've been with Jesus. If we can help you or your church in any way in engaging and in reaching men, both inside and outside the church, this is a huge need in our time and in our world at this moment please go on to our website rumble.vision and send us an email reach out to us we would love to get a coffee and to talk to you about some of the things that we have that can help you at a local level but we do hope that you can join us again soon for our next episode be blessed and we'll see you again soon